0: Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Christy Balger. Christy is a musical theater writer whose musicals include The Fitzgeralds of St. Paul and Lainey Riefenstahl is going to tell you the truth. She holds an MFA from the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU, and her work has been featured everywhere from the Actors Theater of Louisville to the Seoul Institute of Arts in South Korea. We are going to talk today about the female gaze in musical theater.
1: Thanks for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, we'll get started with our get to know
2: our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? My gut response was, like so many people of my generation, the, the Disney films of the early 90s. But I think I actually had an even earlier experience than that, which was the movie The Muppets Take Manhattan, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, nice. It was one that, I, when I was really little, I, I would watch over and over and over and over. I had it VHS taped off of TV. And, um, and of course, that's all about the, the joys and horrors of getting a show to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it sort of feels prophetic that yeah. uh, that I, I found my way to musical theater. but. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, the, the Disney movies really were sort of my entry point when I was 11, I guess it was. it was, 1995. What is the last great musical you saw and why? I think the last great thing I saw, at least the, the most exciting recent thing I saw yeah. was Miss You Like Hell, The Public. Ah, yeah. yeah, I didn't see that,
1: but I've heard really good things.
2: Yeah, I, I found it exciting for several reasons, one, uh, I, I'm always excited to see new things by female writers who yeah. I um, encountered for the first time. And Erin uh, McKeown, I hadn't heard her songs before. And I was really excited about that. But also because it was about something relevant, mm-hmm. but authentically so, Yeah, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times theater tries to respond to current events in an inauthentic way. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like this was very lived in and very real. And um, to see something that was not just about, you know the immigration crisis, but also about mother-daughter relationships. Yeah, that, that's a big thing with me. I, I love seeing people explore that because we, we don't see that. Enough. yeah. And I love that too.
1: And now I'm really sad that I missed missed this show. Yeah. <laughs> What older or classic show did you see recently for the first time, and what was
2: your experience with it? Oh boy! Uh, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw Carousel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing is, I I'd seen it before, but I'd seen a high school production yeah. uh, at the International Thespian Festival when I was in high school, and uh, that festival, the main stage shows are in like a cavernous like performing arts center, yeah. and it was done without amplification, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't understand the words that were being <laughs> yeah. said most of the time, so I, I wasn't quite following it. Yeah. And so, the current revival of Carousel was my first experience, actually seeing it really and understanding it, yeah. the words. Yeah. I mean, we, I, we'd studied it in grad school. You know, it, it's a, right. a, a cornerstone of, you know, modern musical theater writing. But, man, oh man, I felt really conflicted because mm-hmm. there are pieces of that show that are among the finest if not the finest writing done for the American stage but wow can I not find a show for or find a reason for that show to exist in 2018 at least at least as is right right you know I I just sat there because so much of it is about the redemption of a domestic abuser and it's not a good look and yeah. In, in this day and age, you know? like right. just even, I, I really struggled with it. Yeah. You know, bringing my own experiences to the table. It was just like, I, I, I try to, in everything that I see, meet it where it lives. Right, right. And for me, that particular piece lives in 1945.
1: Yeah, which is, t- I feel like pieces should live in the era that they
2: yeah. are written in. And yeah. I, I can, in the moment, respect how even putting it on stage at all was revolutionary yeah. at that point. And I, I kept returning to that as right. as I watched it critically, going, you know, if I were, you know, a housewife in 1945 sitting here, I would yeah. feel very yeah. vindicated seeing this. And well, and it would probably be shocking like to see that kind of story on stage in a musical form
1: like at all. Right. Who is your favorite musical hero and
2: villain character? My favorite musical hero For some reason, the first thing I thought of was John Adams in 1776. Ah, Because the thing is, there are a lot of shows that have great antiheroes. Yeah. You know, like Evita. Uh, But the thing that I love about uh, John Adams is that from the top of the show, they tell you, we don't like this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like he's described throughout as obnoxious and disliked. Right. And fighting for a thing that seems at that point impossible. And the fact that he p- pushes through and manages to bring people to the table mm-hmm. and make it happen in spite of the fact that everybody hates him. <laughs> I don't know. I find that really
1: admirable. Oh, nice. <laughs> and what about your, your favorite villain? I would say... Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. Ah, that's a very interesting answer too. But yeah, he <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that works very well.
2: Yeah. So why him? I I think just because the way that show opens him up yeah. beyond the archetype of just the betrayer, yeah. You know, from the the actual story, uh, is really beautiful. Like, just looking at the humanity of it. What musical has made you cry the most? Oh my gosh. Sunday in the Park with George. Mm-hmm. The more I see it, uh, I it, it's meant different things to be at different points yeah. in my life. Um, it has a lot of personal resonance. Yeah. I, I recognize my parents and those two mm, people. Interesting. Uh, so, and, and my parents are divorced, so there's a lot of sort of, like, yeah. making sense of Past personal pain in it, mm-hmm. but the thing that really struck me uh, the last time I saw it, which was the revival last year, yeah, was the song "Beautiful." Yeah, and you know the the mother, you know, saying "Quick draw it all," mm-hmm. like you know the the trying to the capture the moment. I mean, I wept buckets. There was one line in it as
1: a teenager that I just loved, which was that the one that goes "Pretty isn't beautiful. Pretty is what changes." Yep. What the eye arranges is, is what is beautiful, and I was always like, that is like the perfect definition yeah. <laughs> of the or the distinction between beauty and uh, pretty, you know. And, but there's so much else going on in that song too. It's so. Yeah. Awesome kind of like has like this slowness
2: to it. (laughs) Well, it it comes after a very heightened moment. It comes after we do not belong together, which is utterly devastating. Yes, yes. And and the choice to follow that big heart-wrenching fight with a moment in which George just sits with his mother and like they ruminate about the nature of change and time and art, Uh, it it, it gives you a moment to let the heartbreak settle.
1: Yeah, huh, yeah. I never thought of it like that, but that's so true. That's what's happening. There's so much going on in that show with like the pace of emotions. Yeah, like they build up to the uh, finale of Act One. The Sunday, There's just like this like mystical build from that. I don't know. There's just such a we- there's such like a weird but like so satisfying like emotional journey that you don't even know you're on. I guess while well, you're. While you're watching, yeah. It.
2: Well, I mean that that's in the construction of it too. I mean, it yeah. it, it feels impressionistic, right? Sh- right, right. Yeah. Oh, so good.
1: Well, let's uh, move on to our topic, which is super exciting: uh, the female gaze in musical theater. Yes. Um. So I guess we'll start with just.
2: So, typically, when the term f- female gaze is applied, it's applied in a sort of like sexualized context. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you hear male gaze a lot. Right. In terms of uh, like when people talk about how men write female characters yeah. and, you know, how the, the, the things that they focus on, the right. sort of tropes and traps that they fall into. Um, for me, it just means the female perspective yeah. brought to storytelling. Yeah. And so within a musical theater context, it it means bringing a, a lived authenticity mm-hmm. to stories about women and female identifying characters. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is I I feel like we're in a slightly better position than maybe other art forms Mm -hmm. because I think the the forefathers of the form were feminists, whether Mm -hmm. or not they necessarily Mm -hmm. identified as such or or realized that this is what they were doing. But Mm -hmm. the sort of thing that's pointed to as the the first modern musical is Oklahoma, which begins with an old woman on stage churning butter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at at this point in, whatever, 1943, yeah, the musical comedy was seen as just a, a vehicle for popular songs. Right. And a lot of times there were just, you know, leggy chorus girls. Right. And it, it was not seen as uh, serious storytelling. Yeah. And so I, I love imagining, uh, you know, the stereotypical tired businessman sitting down at Oklahoma <laughs> expecting the leggy chorus girls right. and getting Aunt Eller out on the porch <laughs> and going, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I, I mean, it, Oklahoma's not feminist simply because there's an old woman churning butter on stage. Uh, but but because it, uh, it deals with things. Central to a certain female experience at Mm -hmm. the time, issues of uh, marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, issues of you know, uh, Aunt Eller lives with her niece, who you know, the show is essentially about who's going to take the niece to the dance. (laughs) 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 You know, it's it's not a particularly deep story necessarily, uh, but you sort of see Aunt Eller having a stake and like, oh, you should go for the the cowboy, Uh you know, because it, it. Aunt Eller, you know, lives with Lori, and so you know she has a, <laughs> right, <laughs> you, you know, the, the an ulterior motive in Lori marrying well, right, know, right, in in their being, you know, in the decisions that are being made, it doesn't necessarily manifest that way. It manifests right. in like, gosh, that curly sure is cute, right, right. But uh, th- there's a certain extent to which a lot of the early uh, musical theater narratives. Mm-hmm the stories of the female characters reflect the concerns of mm-hmm. women at the time, yeah. women leading up to that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as time goes on, they, they open up a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I feel like because of that, uh-huh. we have a foundation that, that, mm. that we've been able to slowly build upon over yeah. time. The problem is, most of the building has been done by men right and so as a consequence the authenticity is not is not always there Mm -hmm. you know i i would i i I feel like if a woman had written oklahoma Mm -hmm. aunt eller would have had a couple more songs right right (laughs) you know
1: there's i know and i i know i mentioned this before there are so many musicals i see from like 40s 50s 60s where i'm like the man is just singing so much more than the yeah. <laughs> the main woman. Like, what is that? And I feel like a lot of the female gaze is just um, understanding women's relationships and how women relate to each other. Yes. And because a lot of, most of the time, men are not in the room for that. So, that <laughs> <laughs> so like, they, I mean, sometimes some men get it right. And, you know, it's not either or, but... But you know, you see something like um, you know, like Mamma Mia or like Fun Home or you know, even like uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and like
2: oh my gosh when yes. you're looking at it
1: and you see how those women are relating to each other, you're like that that was written by a woman because they know like they they Completely. know yeah.
2: I, you know, I, I just sat here giving Oscar Hammerstein a lot of credit, yeah. and and right, rightfully so. But at the same time, every time I hear I enjoy being a girl, yeah. my first thought is that was written by a man. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> just because that it just doesn't take into account the, the totality of the lived experience. Yeah,
1: it's like, you know. It's like a cute song.
2: I don't know that anyone ever enjoys being a girl, (laughs) per se. Enjoys being feminine. Enjoys, you know, I I mean, I love makeup. But, you know, when I say I enjoy being a girl, no, I survive (laughs) being a girl. I enjoy wearing makeup. There's a distinction.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, my funnily, my friends and I wrote a parody of that song and um, How Lovely to Be a Woman from... Bye Bye Birdie, and we like did a little uh, mashup of them. It's um, amazing. Check it out. It's on YouTube. I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy being a girl. Uh, and uh, how lovely to be a woman with my name. You'll find it. I feel like women know when they're in the presence of something that was was written by a woman.
2: Absolutely. And
1: something that is addressing certain things that you just don't. That just haven't been in the musical theater
2: canon. For me, the most radical thing I've seen in the eight years that I've lived in New York mm-hmm. was Fun Home. Yeah, and definitely the the reason I say that interestingly is not the the main story. I have a lot of qu- queer female friends who mm-hmm. like were just f- from a sheer representation point mm-hmm. ecstatic about Fun Home. Yeah, and that's huge and important. Uh, but for me, it was seeing how they wrote Helen, the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so my my primary collaborative relationship is with the director Danny Mafford, who was the choreographer of Fun Home. Mm-hmm. So uh, Fun Home is also the thing that I've seen the most in the right. time that I've lived here because I I saw their invited dress at the public, oh, and then I, yeah. I saw it various times from the public on to Broadway, and so I saw the, the various ways that it developed wow. and, and spent a lot of time just thinking about it. Yeah. And the thing that felt the most revolutionary was hearing the song Days and Days, where yeah, the mother uh, <laughs> finally r- reckons with the the lie that, that uh, she and her husband have been living. Yeah. Uh, I realized something utterly amazing about it listening to it once that for one thing okay so Janine Tesori is a genius Mm -hmm. can we just say that (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) I don't don't think it it gets said enough I don't think she gets enough credit no agreed and and, you know partially I think because she's a woman but also you know she's such a smart storyteller Mm -hmm. and the reason I say this is the entire narrative of Helen Mm Bechtel is uh, woven into how her music is constructed through mm. the entire show, so she doesn't sing a phrase that ends on the tonic. So okay, so for <laughs> <laughs> I, I I realize that not everybody listening is going to have a music theory background. So most Western music is built is, is, is tonic is, is tonal, uh, and is built on uh, you know the, the eight tone scale you know do, do re mi fa so la ti do. So Doe is called the tonic. That's the key that you're in. That's mm-hmm. home base. And uh, a lot of music is the, the tension and release of, of, of going to and from mm-hmm. home. Helen Bechtel does not sing a single phrase in Fun Home that ends on the tonic until the very last phrase she sings on the show. Wow. Uh, sh- she spends a good chunk of the show, you know... Uh, placating her husband mm-hmm. you know the first time we see her you know th- they're cleaning the house and preparing you know their you know giant victorian house yeah. uh, for visitors to show it off right and so she, it, it's very frenzied and so it yeah. makes sense that like she never quite you know lands in, lands in a place <laughs> yeah. you know but then the next time we, we hear her sing she's sitting at the piano and she's singing, maybe not right now right maybe not right now like sh- it's it's delaying she's singing about delaying yeah. And so then she sings a song, Days and Days, that's all about how she's spent her entire life right. delaying <laughs> her own happiness. yeah, And living with an emotionally violent person. Mm-hmm. And she, the last phrase of the song she sings is, don't you come back here, I didn't raise you, to give away your days like me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's as if she's spent the entire show afraid to put her feet on the ground Mm -hmm. and she's finally landed Yeah, like me (laughs) and the thing is you don't have to know that that's how the show was constructed to feel that because the thing is the very first time I saw it I felt it and to hear her say I didn't raise you to give away your days like me just the impact of the words the first time felt like a punch in the gut but I was feeling something else too and I the moment, the moment I I, I realized that mm-hmm. that was how how it was built. Yeah. That you know this character who had you know essentially been living to keep her family, mm-hmm. you know, from falling apart. Right. Uh, I that was an experience that I'd never seen. Yeah. On stage and a very real one that I you know right. I, I I know women who've lived their lives that way. Right. And so just the genius of that yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: is astonishing to me
1: what are some I guess other musicals you think that are um, like fun home in that they they have like a, a good representation of the female gaze in, in musical theater
2: Inter- interestingly though it's not written by women I would say passion mm-hmm. uh, because it, it it's a show that turns tropes on its head. Yeah, uh, It's it's essentially the same story as Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. or Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I- in this particular case, the genders are reversed. And also, the character is not as terrible. This is the thing that I find <laughs> fascinating about the way people respond to this show. Yeah. Is, you know, the Phantom of the Opera is a literal murderer. Ugh. <laughs> he's a terrorist. Yeah, he's, he's 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 terrible. Yeah, and the thing is, I I say that with with deep love for that show in my heart. <laughs> like that that was the show that brought me into this world. But yeah, uh, I mean into the world of writing musicals. Like not, right? <laughs> you, you know what I mean. uh yeah. But, you know, Fo- Fosca never killed anybody. Fosca yeah. never you know held anyone hostage. Yeah, I mean, she's a stalker. I'm not saying that she's perfect. Right. (laughs) By any means. But that's a point at which it's like having to grapple with the force of the desire of a a character who is traditionally seen as undesirable. Yeah. That's a hard sit for some people. Yeah. You know, that's a show that people apparently got into fights in the lobby you know, oh, right of wow. spring style when huh. it, it first premiered, because because the the other thing about it is it has no applause breaks. Oh yeah, it's like ninety minutes of no applause breaks, and so like it forces you to feel the tension of it right. for the entire time. I discovered it when I was in high school. Yeah. So as a fifteen year old girl, I didn't see anything wrong with what Vasquez was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I was just like, no, she just feels things very deeply, and he just needs to see it. <laughs> But again, you know, she wasn't, you know, she didn't kidnap him. Yeah. You know, it, she just was like, no, we, we like the same books, you know? Uh,
1: that sounds so familiar to me. I, I feel like that, you know, is something I also, <laughs> also Here, here's, the, here's the thing.
2: It It's a terrible model for life because right. I then tried to apply Fosca methodology in my own life. <laughs> Anything that that is, is trop- Subverting, Mm -hmm. you know, I so many of the stories that we tell are rooted in patriarchal Mm -hmm. myth that is centuries old. Yeah, you know, in which everyone has their role and everyone uh, fits in a certain box or fits in a certain category. And the moment in which the protagonist is a woman, Mm -hmm. You know, at the moment in which the <laughs> the man is is the object of desire, mm-hmm. you know the they sound like small changes, mm-hmm. but you know the, it's it's a it's a radical act to turn that on its head. Yeah, because it start it it forces us to examine the ways in which we are complicit in patriarchy, in mm-hmm. you know, racism. Yeah, in in social structures that are damaging to our mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. What would
1: you say, I guess, is an example of like a, a well-known musical that that is a, rooted in patriarchy that you can see?
2: Well, w- we talked about Carousel. Carousel, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. I, because I, I, I would say all of them to some degree. Uh-huh. You know, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Anything that, uh, particularly any of them that are uh, rooted around romance, mm-hmm. certainly. I mean, Phantom of the Opera seems the most
1: egregious <laughs> to me, um, especially in the way that young girls react to it, yeah, um, and think the Phantom is this like romantic hero. <laughs> When he's a terrorist, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was twelve, I, I bought into that l- yeah, h- hook well, line and sinker. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a, it's so. Str- I n- I never saw it as a kid. I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. So I was like, oh, that's interesting, an adult, and I was like, I I didn't realize. I was like, he's he's like threatening to kill people if they don't comply with his demands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's terrorism. Yeah. And, he like, seduces her, and like, brings her down, to his lair. Like, yeah. it's just like, how, like, what is this show? <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a lot to grapple with, as an adult. Yeah. But the thing is, because, you know, the that, that's where, Music is powerful and dangerous. The music set is so catchy. I yeah. always
1: am singing it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the thing is you get swept up in the, you know, romance of the music and you yeah. don't think about And, and also it, it's that thing of, oh, but, but he's lived such a hard life. It's like, yeah, but he kills people. He yeah. kills people. You know, F- Fosca, you know, isn't, you know, half yeah <laughs> i'm I'm just like you know hashtag right. you know, free Fosca but, uh, <laughs> I need that t-shirt yeah. <laughs> i yeah. i loved Bella mm. Kristen childs Bella. Yes. Bella
1: absolutely that is a that is an amazing example of one i think because it is so it is even in like when you um read or hear uh kristen child's discuss like the origin of that show it is like originated from a female gaze she said that she was like walking down the street and saw a woman with a big butt being admired and like she she saw that you know and like put that on stage like that is that is like a literal like female gaze absolutely (laughs) right there yeah because
2: it's not only uh Shining uh, a, a light on that experience, but also yeah. saying, you know, all of our tropes about what is de- de- desirable are, yeah. are aren't even correct, right? You know, like uh, and, and putting people of of different body types, and, yeah. You know, just the, oh gosh, that show, and, and it was so funny and yeah. so uh, smart. Yeah, just I, I loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of, I saw this um, uh, musical uh, called Inner City, um, which was like, from the 70s, it was like the same uh, style of like hair, and like all those um, types of, you know, musicals that aren't plot-based, that, um, and it's, supposedly we think (laughs) it's the um, first show that's written by all women. Um, Eve Merriam and uh, Helen Miller. I think I have that right. Okay. Um, And they did like a concert of it at 54 Below last year and I went and I was just like this show is amazing. Like I just like love it. They talk about one of the songs the, is, like, the intro to the song is, like, a woman talking about, like, how great this guy is because, you know, he will still make love to her while she's on her period. Like, <laughs> like things like that where you're like, what? Like, I would never expect, like, that kind of thing in a musical or in, in
2: anything. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: But, like, yeah, I mean women talk you know this
2: (laughs) this is again it's it's like a crazy ex-girlfriend yeah you know it just sort of like breaks down barriers yeah
1: there's things in that show that are like that is so true and authentic and I've never heard that spoken in you know any mainstream form before you know Um, but yeah Inner City uh, was yeah it was really really cool and really interesting and like that it didn't do well on Broadway, but um, there, there are some dedicated folks trying to bring it back, and I hope they, I hope they succeed. Yeah, I do too, I'd love to see it. Yeah, there, there's a soundtrack um, that, uh, or original cast recording that, uh, that you can download. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of some other shows that I've seen, I mean,
2: I feel like Ragtime. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I I I I think several of the um the Aaron's and Flaherty, mm-hmm. I, I I think once on this island yeah. falls in there a little bit. But, yeah. I mean Ragtime more explicitly yeah. for sure. The only
1: thing about Ragtime, I mean this is in the plot of the novel which was written by a man, but the there's the Women in Refrigerators trope. Right. Which is um comes from I think comics comic books and uh, a woman who was actually <laughs> placed in a refrigerator but it's like uh, it's when the women the female character is killed and that is the inciting action that spurs the male character, the male hero to action. Right. Like the woman is just like, the woman's death is a plot point for the man, and that is kind of what happens in Ragtime with Sarah and Colehouse, and it's just a little, even though I love the show and there's so much, you know, in there from the female gaze, that is just a little disappointing to me that that's there. I mean, I know that comes from the male author, but
2: yeah. Yeah. The first thing that I I thought of with regard to Ragtime is uh, there are a couple of shows in which the the characters down to their names are Mm -hmm. defined by their relationship to men. So, Mm Mother, right, uh, is an example. It's interesting that Sarah is not. It, it, yeah, like the, the, there's probably a, you know, a version of the show in which it's Colehouse's girl or right. it, whatever. I mean, yeah. maybe just because that's awkward. But uh, I, I, I too. Well, I guess to Yale Doctor credit. Yeah. You know, we we get to know her by her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to thinking about Into the Woods mm-hmm. recently and about yeah. how it's the Baker's wife.
1: Yeah. Oh, I had this revelation about Into the Woods when I saw the film a few years ago, and I was like, all the people that die in the show are women. Yes. That's really weird.
2: It, it, well, yeah, it, and I, I think it's a, it's a comment on the, uh, the moralistic misogyny of fairy tales. Yeah. You know, anytime a woman uh, expresses any kind of agency, right, she gets punished for it.
1: Yes. That is true. It's just so difficult to watch that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for women especially. Yeah, especially because you know it, they acquire true knowledge. Yeah, in, in the in the making of their mistakes and right. in the, the pushing against the strictures. Yeah, I mean, I love the the conversation between the baker's wife and Cinderella, uh-huh. where you know, I'm forgetting the lyric, but you know, it's the but, you know, how, how, how can you know what you want, you know, mm-hmm. the... Uh, yeah, uh, I don't think I can recite it. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, but where, where, where they're talking about, you know... It, and they're also not talking about the same thing at right, the same time. Right. Because for Cinderella, you know, the, the prince, it's 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 the Ann Eller thing. The yeah. prince, you know, represents a status change. The prince re- represents an escape from right. circumstances. For the baker's wife, the yeah. prince is sex. The prince is... Right. Uh, a moment know, in the woods. A moment yeah. in the woods. <laughs> the prince is, uh, is the thing that she doesn't have in, in her life. Right. And, uh, and even when she, when she gets that, you yeah. know, she, she has that moment of, you know, you know, just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes right. the or mean more than it did before. Right. Uh, that's a, another piece that destroys me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, that goes back to, you know, the... Judeo Christian creation myth. Mm-hmm. You know, the the moment that, you know, the the woman discovers knowledge, she's punished for right. it. Right. And so the thing I love about Into the Woods is that it, it sort of exposes that for what it is yeah. a little bit.
1: That's an interesting way of looking at it. I I guess because I saw that show, that was my first on on-time show like as a kid, like watching that. Um, well for me it was VHS, now it's on D V D or streaming oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but um, and just that her death, the Baker's wife's death is so disturbing, especially for a kid and like, and to intern, I mean, you're still like internalizing that trope, though, you're still seeing it. There's no like there like as an adult, you can look at it as a commentary, but I think like for like watching it as a kid, like. Like I feel like that, as well as other things that use that trope. I feel like I've internalized that in a way. Like, don't get too happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Don't you know? Once you get what you want, I mean, that's part of the show too. Like, once you get what you want, like, then it's over for you. you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah.
2: Or don't don't want more than your role yeah. asks of you.
1: Right. Right. And yeah, the ones who pay the most for it are the women. Yeah. in that show who else dies Rap- uh, Rapunzel R- R- Rapunzel dies Jack's th- mother sorry
2: if you haven't seen this it's all spoilers um, <laughs> 30 year old spoilers that's yeah uh, well th- the witch essentially kills the herself the witch yeah,
1: yeah that can be seen as that yeah um, I feel like there's one more Maybe the giant the giant yeah <laughs> yeah Mrs. Giant yeah um, and Mr. Giant She's not a scene character, but uh, Little Red Riding Hood's mother... Yes. ...is also killed. Yeah. That's <laughs> cheerful. This is so sad. <laughs> um, yeah. So what are... Let's let's think of some more happy female gaze um, It's yeah.
2: hard because there are so few There's of them. so few. That's the thing that is so upsetting. Yeah, well that's
1: why Fun Home was just so it felt so revelatory to be sitting in that theater and seeing this because it really just felt like nothing you'd ever seen before because it was nothing you'd ever seen yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason the Ring of Keys moment was so powerful in that show is because it was like like getting at this emotion and like a that girl's that age like and nobody acknowledged it until that
2: song. It's amazing. Yeah, and and for it to be about a moment of identification, yeah, brings out the universality of it. Right, right. You know, I the thing that amazed me the most the the couple of times that I saw the show at the Public mm-hmm. um, was both times the people who were glued to their seats, sobbing at the end, mm-hmm. like who couldn't like just get up and leave, yeah. were often middle aged to older men hmm. and i think that speaks to the the power of musical theater to yeah. transcend experience and create empathy cool so let's move on to our why is this so good section um
1: and we're going to talk about clean and women from the musical working written by mickey grant and uh If you don't know Working, it's a show that has songs by a lot of different people. So this is the only song she wrote for this show. Um, So we're going to talk about that one. So why did you pick this song to talk about?
2: I picked this song, well, first of all, I love this song. I was Mm -hmm. in a production of Working in college, and getting to listen to the woman who sang this song, Mm -hmm. sing it every night, was just the most energizing thing, listening to... Uh, an audience respond to it the, the 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 song is the second to last song in the show mm. so it's in sort of like the eleven o'clock spot yeah and you know I, I I keep coming back to the word authenticity yeah uh the the authenticity of the um the the determination in this song mm-hmm. the song and the 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 rage of this song mm-hmm. i mean it, it's not on the surface angry but yeah. it comes from a place of uh, again, of, of lived experience. I mean, the whole show mm-hmm. is built around. You know, the. Right. At, you know, as as you said, it, it's built around I- interviews. It, it, it's, it's sort of like the the prototype version of what the civilians do, mm-hmm. kind of sort of, where it was based on this book of interviews that Studs Terkel did with people about their jobs. Right. And it's a song about a lot of things, but it's about. Yeah. Uh, The the invisibility that uh, women who are domestic workers feel. Yeah.
1: Uh, And I just love how she puts that in the lyric cleaning women without faces. Yeah. Like, she could have just, you know, she could have just described like, we're invisible, or said like, we're invisible, but like, the description of cleaning women without faces is just that, it's like you feel that emotionally.
2: You know, the lady of the house don't think you're thinking half the time. Mm -hmm. You know, the it's a song about uh, the degradation of your inner life and experience Mm -hmm. uh, being denied. Yeah. uh, Which is sadly a very common experience for women and particularly women of color. And. Uh, and also Mickey Grant is just such a good songwriter. Yeah. And the song is amazing. And the thing that I, I love about it is, so, you know, the idea of the show is, you know, people talking about their jobs. Yeah. And in a lot of cases talking about what's great about their jobs or what's hard about their jobs. And I just imagine uh, someone putting it to this uh this unnamed cleaning woman and, mm-hmm. and, and saying, you know, let's let's talk about what what's great and, and dignified about your job. And, yeah. and, and her response being, no, let's talk about what's great and dignified about me, because that's the thing that gets lost in my job. Mm. And it's so powerful. And the thing that I love about it the most is, you know, it, the place where it ultimately goes yeah. is her talking about her daughter. Mm-hmm. And talking about wanting a, a better life for her daughter. Yeah. You know, the just the, the line, you know, you'll never see her down on her knees unless she's down there to pray. Yeah. It's just like
1: I mean it it's incredible. Yeah. And and there's no like really other wish like specific wish for her other than like she well the line is she'll get up singing her own tune. Like, she'll be, you know, in charge of her life. Yeah. Um, not, like, there's no, like, other prescripted, like, then she'll be, like, president of the United States, you know, or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. like.
2: It, it's, you know, c- you know, the the first half of the psalm she, she talks about, you know, cl- cleaning women without faces coming going on a first-name basis. Yeah. And, you know, she says the thing that she wants for, for her daughters, you know. She's gonna walk in on a last name basis mm, yeah you know and have a face you can see have a face you can see yeah it's especially it's it's a it's a bold move in a show that is about the dignity of work yeah <laughs> you know because you know so many of, of these same, because it, it also the, there's a, a sort of like a warm fuzziness to the show almost in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know this is the dignity of the the working man and woman and you know these are our universal struggles and but you know the the the, the power and the dignity of work and uh to have this moment where someone transcends it and, and says no the power and dignity of the people doing the work right it is just beautiful to me
1: Let's uh, just move on to our last section, which is something wonderful, which where we talk about upcoming or current musical theater uh, shows, books, events, uh, anything we're excited to
2: talk about. Sure. Uh, I've got a couple things. One, you mentioned Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm yeah. excited to see the final season of yes. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I, I I love what I'm she's doing. In denial that it's ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like I, th- I think every single person who's been on your show, I'm very excited to see a strange loop of Playwrights yes. Horizons. Uh, uh, again, in terms of just like galvanizing things that, that mm. I've I've seen in the last decade. It, it just I mean, talk about turning tropes on their head. Talk yeah. about challenging the the structures not not just of storytelling, but of the theater world yeah. and you know who gets to, to tell their stories right. and why. It's an amazing piece and I can't wait to see it done. I I I I, I think about it once a week. It's just <laughs> incredible. Yeah.
1: Um if you haven't been listening to if this is your first uh, episode of the podcast, that's a strange loop by Michael R. Jackson at Playwrights Horizons. It's gonna be uh next spring.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm also excited about uh so um my my director Danny Mufford, is working with Michael John LaCusa mm. on the adaptation of Cost of Living the yes. um the, the, the Pulitzer Prize winning play from last yeah. year about oh gosh how is her last name said it's Martina Majak something like that uh yeah. but anyway but it but it's a, a play about the sort of like intersections of uh, disabilities yeah. and uh, race and class yeah the, it was
1: a i mean it now has the uh, cachet of the Pulitzer, but it was a, it was a
2: really good play. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm excited about it just because it, it puts people on stage in a musical who've mm-hmm. never been there before. Yeah. You know, it's creating a part for an actor with cerebral palsy. Right. You know, like, it, it just... That's the thing that, at this point in my life, I find most exciting. Yeah. In general, is seeing something that I've never seen before. <laughs>
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and like our Facebook page, Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.